Please welcome my friend Dimitri. Dimitri's going to read for us this morning. We're going to be in Matthew 18, and oh man, we got a lot of ground to cover. I was studying this this week, and I was like, this is, this is a story uh, that Jesus told, and it is uh, amazing, and um, has a bit of a shocking ending, and so we'll wrestle through that. Uh, but um, we are journeying through a number of stories that Jesus told in this, our second year of three years with Jesus. And uh, we're in the midst of our first mini-series of our second year of three years with Jesus called Stories Jesus Told. And so we're going to jump right in to Matthew 18, starting in verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Okay. So Peter is one of Jesus' closest followers. And uh, Jesus has just talked about uh, this series that should take place when someone in the community, someone in the church, if you will, someone in the faith community uh, offends another or hurts another or sins against another. And Jesus went through this pattern of saying, uh, first you should go to that person and if they don't listen take two or three others with you and go to that person and if they still don't listen take it to the church and if they still don't listen treat them like a Gentile or treat them like an outsider or a tax collector and this this has historically been interpreted that if you go through this process and they don't listen to every layer that you, you just shun them you uh, they're outside you they're excommunicated if you will uh, what's interesting is we should look at the life and pattern of Jesus who hung out with outsiders and tax collectors. So when Jesus says, treat them like an outsider and a tax collector, how would Jesus treat them? So now Peter comes to Jesus and says, well, how many times... Should we forgive someone? Now, Peter lived in, in a world that I think is in many ways like our own in that it is extremely difficult to forgive sometimes, isn't it? When you've been wronged, when you've been hurt deeply, it is hard work to forgive. And so Peter comes in a culture that was tit for tat, that was retributive, that was, uh, if you harm me, I'll harm you. If you hurt me, I'll make you pay for hurting me. And I'm going to hold this grudge, this resentment. And Peter comes and he thinks he's being super generous. And he says, how many times should we forgive? Seven? That, that's pretty generous, right? If someone hurts you seven times in a row to forgive seven times, that's generous. And so Jesus says, Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Okay. So Jesus says 77 times, or the Greek here is really ambiguous. It's hard to tell. Uh, some people translate it that uh, Jesus says 77 times. Uh, other people say, no, it's 70 times 7. So whether it's 77 or 490 isn't the point. Jesus doesn't have a calculator out. What Je Jesus is using hy hyperbole here to make the point, you, you should always forgive. Unlimited Forgiveness. Uh, Peter thinks, I'm, I'm being generous seven times. Peter uh, has bookkeeper theology. Like, I'll, I'll keep track. And if it gets to a certain point, then I'm going to write you off. 
And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You never write anyone off. It's consistent forgiveness. Always forgive. And and to uh, drive his point home, he tells a story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like... Okay, so the kingdom of heaven... We've been talking a little bit about the nature of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, A number of Jesus' stories start with the kingdom of heaven is like. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this story that Jesus told where he said the kingdom of heaven is like a person who goes out and scatters seed. And miraculously, mysteriously, it produces a crop. You see it grow, and that the kingdom is like this unfolding, beautiful thing. It's like the nature of the universe in that it just keeps expanding mysteriously. It keeps growing. It keeps getting bigger and bigger, and Jesus invites us to keep seeing the bigger, to keep seeing the more of the kingdom. And we, uh, we talked about this, the idea of scattering seeds of shalom, And it invites participation in the patient, hopeful emergence of God's shalom here on earth as it is in heaven. That the kingdom is a kingdom of shalom. That Jesus is telling these stories in a context where people understand the idea of kingdom. The Roman Empire is the understanding of what a kingdom is. It's it's the global economic military superpower of the day. And that's what a kingdom is. And Jesus comes teaching a different type of kingdom, a different reality, a different way of being human, a different understanding of what a kingdom can be. And the kingdom Jesus is ushering in is a kingdom of peace and harmony and right relationship and beauty and shalom. And so here again, Jesus tells a story that begins with, the kingdom of heaven is like. A king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Okay, so this story starts with a king who's like a bookkeeper, like Peter, keeping track. He wants to settle accounts with his servants. And there's one servant who owes him, I I love this translation, 10,000 bags of gold. The original Greek, it it says 10,000 talents. Now, a talent was the largest uh, denomination of money in the ancient world. And a talent, uh, if you have a Bible and you're looking at it, mine has a footnote that says 10,000 talents. A talent was worth about 20 years of a day laborer's wages. One talent. 20 years. So, that's... 200,000 years of working. That's 73 million days of working. That's how much this servant owed the king. Now, the king didn't uh, offer the servant all this money and and he spent it all. This is likely a servant who was entrusted with the king's property, with the king's money. This is a servant who was trusted to steward large amounts of the king's kingdom and estate. And he didn't steward it. He handled it poorly. He lost it. And so 
what he lost of the kings was worth, Jesus says, 10,000 talents, 10,000 bags of gold. Now, if you're one of Jesus's listeners, if you're hearing this story, you, you got to understand in the first century, if you hear Jesus say there was a servant who owed the king 10,000 talents, you're, you're going to laugh because it's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous amount of money. It's completely unpayable. There is no way this servant could ever pay this amount of money back. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Okay, so the servant is begging the king to be patient with him, and I will pay back everything. Now, this is where the crowd laughs again, because they know there is no way the servant could ever pay this amount of money back. This is, in our, our mind, this is billions and billions and billions of dollars. It is not repayable by this servant. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Okay. So now the moment comes where people listening to this are like, wow, this irrepayable debt, this debt that in 200,000 years is what it would take to pay this back. It can't be paid back. And the king forgives the debt. Uh, the ancient historian Josephus said that the entire amount of tax collected in a year from Judea, where all these people listening to this were from, was 600 talents. We're talking about 10,000 talents. The amount of tax collected in one year doesn't even come close to the amount this one servant owes the king. And the king cancels the debt. Imagine you're this servant. How, how would you feel? What would your posture be once you leave the king's presence and go out? What, what would your posture be towards others? Let's find out what his posture is like. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Okay, so a hundred silver coins. Uh, Jesus isn't minimizing the amount owed to this other servant. A hundred silver coins is about a hundred days of labor. So it's still a, a significant amount of money, especially in that day. Uh, but what Jesus is doing is helping us see that the amount of the first debt is an ocean compared to a drop in the ocean of the second debt. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Okay, so this should be shocking, right? A man who has just forgiven billions and billions and billions of dollars goes out and is upset about the few hundred dollars that is owed to him. Uh, it, it's like uh, it, GM gets a 
what was it, $16 billion bailout and uh, still expects those of us who have a loan with them to pay it back. Uh, it's, it's just astronomical, the difference of what is owed. And this man goes out and finds someone who owes him a drop in the ocean compared to what he's been forgiven. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about the nature of forgiveness for a moment um, before we can continue the, uh, the story that Jesus is telling here. Uh, first, a, a couple of things that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not accepting unacceptable behavior. Forgiveness is not giving a free pass. And forgiveness does not necessarily include reconciliation. So for you to forgive someone does not mean that you okay their behavior. It doesn't mean they get a free pass. It doesn't mean what they did doesn't matter. It, it does matter. It hurt. It matters. And so it doesn't mean we, we were fine with unhealthy behavior. It also doesn't mean that you necessary, necessarily reconcile the relationship. I believe reconciliation is the goal of forgiveness, but sometimes some relationships can't be reconciled in this life. If you've gone through severe abuse, uh, sexual abuse, or physical abuse, or deep emotional uh, verbal abuse, it is not healthy to just walk right back into that relationship because that person said, I'm sorry. It, and so forgiveness does not always mean reconciliation. A uh, couple of quotes about forgiveness that I, I found really helpful as I was studying for today that I want to share with you. Um, the first says this, forgiveness means to release, to let go of the other. Forgiveness is not denying our hurt. When we minimize what has happened to us, gloss over it, tell ourselves it was not really that bad, we cannot really forgive. Forgiveness is a possibility only when we acknowledge the negative impact of another person's actions or attitudes in our lives. Some events and situations we should not forget. The Holocaust, slavery, ethnic cleansing, exploitation of children and women, mistreatment of native peoples, the infidelity of a spouse, a lie told that turned your life upside down, abuse or betrayal. And so forgiveness is not just saying it doesn't matter, it didn't happen, uh, it does matter. Forgiveness is often a long, hard process to work through. Uh, another quote. To forgive is to make a conscious choice to release the person who has wounded us from the sentence of our judgment, however justified that judgment may be. It represents a choice to leave behind our resentment and desire for retribution, however fair such punishment may seem. Forgiveness involves excusing persons from the punitive consequences they deserve because of their behavior. The behavior remains condemned, but the offender is released from its effects as far as the forgiver is concerned. 
Forgiveness means the power of the original wound's power to hold us trapped is broken. That last line there I, I want to hold on to for a moment because we're going to return to this idea as we continue through this story Jesus is telling. Uh, forgiveness means the power of the original wound's power to hold us trapped is broken. Uh, so often for us, uh, Forgiveness is not necessarily as much for the offender as it is for us. Uh, when we refuse to forgive, we hold ourselves in prison. We hold ourselves trapped by that which happened to us. Rather than li living in the freedom we are invited to by forgiving. Uh, I just think that's so powerful. Forgiveness means the power of the original wound's power to hold us trapped is broken. Uh, next slide. Uh, are you in debt? What would it look like to be freed of that burden? Uh, do you feel like you're owed? What would it look like to be free of that burden? Uh, do you feel like somebody owes you? Do you feel somebody has wronged you and they need to pay for what they have done? Uh, that is a burden you're carrying. And Jesus invites us to release it and to be free from that burden. Next slide. The deeper demand of the text is to forgive others as acceptance of God's forgiveness. Our forgiveness of others performs our acceptance of God's forgiveness. Without that, how can we enjoy the gift we have been given? Enjoying a gift as truly gift means sharing that gift with others. Enjoying a gift as truly gift means sharing that gift with others. The servant leaves the king's presence after being forgiven an insurmountable amount of money. It's immeasurable. And the invitation is to then share that kind of forgiveness with others. And yet he goes out and finds somebody who owes him far less amount and holds him accountable for it. Uh, obviously, the picture here is of a God who has forgiven us an immeasurable amount, a, a God who we could never pay back, a God who created us, like our very life, our very breath, we owe to the creator God of the universe. We can't ever pay for the life we've been given. We can't ever pay for the debt that's been forgiven. And the invitation is to then forgive others as we have been forgiven. We've been forgiven much and we're, in, we're invited to forgive little. Next, next quote. Unless we are willing to see our own death as the one thing necessary to our salvation, unless we can, unlike the unforgiving servant, die to the gimcrack accounts by which we have justified our lives, we will never be able to enjoy the resurrection, even though Jesus hands it to us on a silver platter. So in many ways, I, I see this parable uh, similar to the parable of the prodigal son, who the one son runs off, squanders his father's wealth, uh, and comes back, and the father forgives and throws a party, and the older brother stands outside angry. 
not enjoying the party, uh, not enjoying resurrection. That this son of mine was dead and now he is alive. We have to celebrate that. And the older son is standing outside the party, angry about it, thinking that his father has mistreated him. And the father says, son, I am always with you and everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. But the older son stands outside the party, bitter, resentful, angry, unwilling to forgive his brother the way his father has forgiven his brother. And that, that parable ends. We don't know what happens, if the older brother ends up going into the party or not. Uh, let's continue with the text. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Okay. So this is a difficult part of the parable, right? Is, is God a retributive God? Is God a God who... Uh, is tit for tat. Is God a God who says, if you don't forgive, I won't forgive you? Uh, is this the way the God of the universe who created us in love, sustains us in love, holds us in love, acts? Uh, first, I think we need to understand it's a parable. It's a story Jesus is telling. Uh, there's a lot of hyperbole in the parable, the 10,000 bags of gold uh, hyperbole. I think we should uh, allow that hyperbole to function all the way through the, the parable. Uh, second, I read this parable uh, a little different than many have interpreted it. Uh, many have interpreted it in such a way that, that God won't forgive us if we don't forgive others, that, that God will uh, hold us accountable for that in such a way that we won't be forgiven. But my question when I read this, my question is, uh, who are the jailers, and who is the torturer? Uh, is it God? Uh, does God torture people? Uh, I hope there's not a single person in this room who would say yes to that question. Uh, I can't say yes to that question. So my question, who, who are the jailers, and who is the torturer? Uh, it, because if it is God, then Jesus is telling a parable of fear. Jesus is telling a story of fear, and that, that our motive to forgive should be fear, not love. And I believe deep in my bones that God invites us to be motivated by love, not fear. And it is my sense when I read this story that we are handed over to ourselves. We are our own jailers. We are our own torture. If we cannot forgive from the heart, it is torture to live with resentment and unforgiveness. And when 
We live with resentment and unforgiveness. We are holding ourselves in prison to ourselves and to those who offended us. We're giving them power over us they do not deserve. Uh, Here's an example to maybe help us understand this. A former POW asked another former POW, have you forgiven your captors yet? He answered, I will never do that. Then they still have you in prison, don't they? Uh, who are you giving power to in your life? Who, who are you allowing to continue to hold you in prison, to keep you trapped by that wound? Where in your life are you trapped by a deep hurt, by a wound that Jesus is inviting you to release and to let go of? Uh, In a world of fear, politics of fear, an economy of fear, a market driven by fear, I refuse to buy into a spirituality or religion of fear. I believe the response is love. And it's only by God's grace and the love of God flowing through us that we have the grace and capacity to forgive somebody who has deeply hurt us. Again, does not necessarily mean reconciliation. But if you're able to open your hands and release that person to God, release that wound, that hurt to God, it will free you. A couple of thoughts I had. Uh, The nature of forgiveness is more for the person forgiving than for the one who has committed the offense. Forgiveness frees you. Next slide. The, consequence for not, the consequences for not forgiving are monumental, even torturous. Not God torturing us, but God handing us over to our own unwillingness to forgive, torturing ourselves. When we relive the wrong over and over, that is torture. It's no way to live. Uh, Part of the good news of the kingdom, part of the gospel Jesus came to proclaim was the good news of forgiveness. That we are forgiven and that we are invited to forgive. And when we don't forgive, it's torturous. And it's no way to live. We're simply invited to release it to God and invite him to shower us with grace and the capacity to forgive. Next slide. Are you holding on to unforgiveness? Are you carrying resentment? It's torture. Jesus invites us to let it go and embrace the forgiveness and grace that has already been ours in God. Uh, so many of us live with this, uh, this bookkeeper theology. Uh, I was wronged, I'll make you pay. Uh, God is not a bookkeeper. God threw the books out. And we are forgiven. So part of our problem, next slide, uh, part of our problem is we often view faith and life as transactional rather than transformational. I'll do for you if you do for me. 
when we live that way, that means that for us, often, the way we view God, if our life is transactional with others, the way we view God is we view God as transactional. I need to earn God's favor. I need to work to get God's grace. And there is simply nothing you can do to earn God's favor or grace. You already have it. And so the economy of grace is not transactional. It's transformational. Um, I want to close for us with with a little practice. So uh, do you have a program? Does everyone have a program? If you have one, um, or if the person next to you doesn't, in the the section that's blank under sermon notes, uh, just rip a couple pieces of that off and uh, hand it to folks who may not have one. And here's what I want to invite you to do. As, As we come forward and take the bread and dip it in the cup, as we proclaim the Lord's death, as we proclaim the power of the cross, the power of forgiveness, the power of grace in our own lives, uh, I want to invite you, if you can, uh, for some in this room, you, you may not be ready to do this, and that's fine. If you can, just simply write the first name of a person that has kept you prisoner that you have resentment towards, that, that there is bitterness and anger that you have not been able to resolve. I simply invite you to write their first name and when you come and partake, to leave it here at the table. Uh, if, you, if for you, you're, I, I can't think of a person or you're, you're not in a place where you're able to do that, uh, let's go to the last slide. Uh, I invite you to write this on your piece of paper. I am forgiven. Help me forgive. Uh, This is like the man who uh, asked Jesus to heal his son. And Jesus said to him, "Do, do you believe? And the man's response was, I believe, help my unbelief. And we all believe and we all have doubts. And that's okay. So, for us, uh, we can acknowledge and write down, I am forgiven, and we can acknowledge the difficulty to forgive. Uh, And simply write, I am forgiven, help me forgive. It's just a first step in that process of releasing that person to God. Uh, So as the band comes, I invite you to close your eyes and just hold your hands open. It uh, It is extremely difficult to hold someone in prayer and to hold them in contempt. It's extremely difficult to hold someone in prayer before God and hold resentment towards them. So if you're able this morning with your hands open to God, I invite you to hold that person in prayer. To to hold that wound that has kept you a prisoner, to hold that 
before God and release it to God, invite God to take that. By the power of his grace, by the power of the cross, by the power of God's love that comes to us in and through Jesus, hold that before God. Say, God, I am forgiven. Help me to forgive. God, as we come and take the bread and dip it in the cup, remind us again of how much we have been forgiven. Remind us of how much we have been given by you. And God, churn us into a people who are more and more grateful to you. Grateful for every breath. Grateful for each moment of grace that you bless us with. Fill us anew with your spirit. To be a people who interact with this world with others. With gratitude, with grace, and with your shalom. Jesus.